Well, I'm going to introduce our speaker. Uh, I kind of already did a little while ago. Why don't you come up here, Pastor Charles? Bless you. Pastor Charles, like I said, was uh, uh, one of the directors here for six years. Uh, he, he has birthed a church in Queens called Oasis Christian Center, right? Um, God has put that on his heart, and uh, he still helps out uh, Pastor Don and Brooklyn Teen Challenge in many different ways. Uh, he helps, in fact, that study Bible that you see right there, uh, Pastor Charles played a major, major, major role in that, 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 that Bible and other things that Pastor Don has worked on. And he's actually heading up and spearheading uh, the David Wilkerson Library that's being uh, built uh, in, in 416 as we do the renovation. The devotion room that mo many of you know as a devotion room will now be a memorial library dedicated to uh, David Wilkerson and the early days of Brooklyn Teen Challenge. So when people come through the visit, because people know that a lot of, a lot of people contact us regularly to come to the original center, we want to have something that is there that c commemorates and memorializes uh, the men and women of God that have gone before us and have really uh, carved the path for us at Brooklyn Teen Challenge. And uh, Pastor Charles playing a big part of that. But I'm going to let him have the microphone and let him bring a word that I know that the Lord has given him. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. It's great to be here. And um, I met Brother Don at, uh, on Tuesday and uh, stayed over for a few days. And I told my wife, you know, we, we've been really hitting it hard this summer. A lot of evangelistic outreaches and a big vacation Bible school. And uh, I was really ready for a break, and uh, I was really ready to, to like hear from God. You know, I, I, I pictured, you know, that I just I just get locked in my room, and 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 a, you know a light from heaven would come, and God would speak to me, or or maybe I'd I'd take a hike in the woods, and God would come and appear to me. But you know, none of that happened. But as as I'm getting ready to to leave tonight after after uh, this service. I realize that um, God has spoken to me about 10 times through you guys. And uh, you may not even have realized. I mean, some of you guys, um, when you were sharing your testimony, uh, when you were sharing your spoken word to me, when, when you were sharing the situations you were going through, I'm like, oh, man, God is speaking to me through these guys right now. And I think the, the biggest thing I miss about being in Teen Challenge is the constant flow of Jesus. There's, there's a constant flow of Jesus in this ministry. There's a, there's a constant flow of the voice of the Lord. Those who have ears to hear God God speaks. God speaks through you, brothers. God speaks through the staff. God, God I'm telling you, it's like, when I get home, my wife's going to say, honey, did God appear to you and speak to you about our next step and about what we need to do next? And about, I'm going to tell her, honey, God spoke to me like 10 times. <laughs> and it was all through the, the brothers as you were sharing your heart with me. And I'm like, 
I mean, so many times in these past couple of days, I'm like, this brother has no idea how much God is speaking through him right now. And so I realized, you know, working at Teen Challenge for six years, there, you know, the, the biggest thing I, I, um, I miss is, is that constant flow of Jesus. So take advantage of that while you're here. Amen? Yes. Say, Lord, give me ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And when the Spirit is speaking to me through my roommate, if he's not speaking perfectly polite, let me receive it anyway. Amen? <laughs> so for those of you um, who never met me, I, I was saved in Tennessee, uh, the 11th of 12 children, and I got saved when I was 17 out of very dark, drug-filled, atheistic life. So grateful when God rescued me. I said, God, I will do anything. I will go anywhere. I'll be a missionary for you. I'll go anywhere in the world. And he said, get ready. You're going to New York City. I said, I will go anywhere except New York City. <laughs> I mean, I have seen West Side Story. I've seen the movies of people bleeding to death on the streets of New York City. But when I was 19, I moved to South Bronx, and, and um, long story short, I got to, um, God opened the door for me to work at Times Square Church, right? When it first started, I came on staff and worked with Pastor Dave and Don. And my wife and I got married there in 1990, and we've been planting churches uh, afterwards. And um, eight years ago, I was at Brooklyn Teen Challenge, and I uh, was there for six years, two years ago. Uh, my wife and I planted a, a church in, in the projects in Queens. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Brother Don and I worked together at Times Square Church. And then um, I left after six years. And at Pastor David's funeral, he and I reconnected. And uh, I said, Brother Don, I heard you're back in Brooklyn. He said, yeah, I recently came back. And and uh, he said, why don't you come out and have lunch with me? And so I w went to lunch with him at Graziella's, and uh, he said, so Charles, what are you doing right now? I said, well, I'm kind of in between ministry assignments. And um, he said, well, what would you like to do next? I said, you know, the last two things I did was I worked in Bible schools, and I really enjoyed working in Bible schools. I I'm going to pray God open up a door for me to work in a Bible school again. And he said, did you know that Brooklyn Teen Challenge has a school of ministry? <laughs> I said, no, I didn't know that. He said, well, we, we lost one of our teachers recently, and, uh, you know, since I worked with you before, if you want it, the job is yours. I said, when's the next semester start? He said, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> so I started, and uh, uh, about a week later, Brother Don came up to me. He said, you know, the one thing I regret was I was, I was hoping to retire so I could work on three or four books that I wanted to write. He said, but I, I knew I needed to come back to Brooklyn, so I kind of put that on hold. I said, well, Brother Don, I started a publishing company about 20 years ago, and if you want me to publish your books, I'll do it at cost. <laughs> and he said, sounds good to me. And uh, But I found out as I was editing his books and then edit editing his study Bible notes 
that um, for six years at Times Square Church, I heard Don Wilkerson preach every Tuesday night. That's 52 times six. That's 300 sermons. And uh, so I could take his, his, his writings and edit them, and uh, I, I, I know his voice. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, I said, no, Brother Don, you don't mean to write that. You mean to write this. <laughs> and my corrections, he was like, how did you know that I really meant that? I said, I know what you're meaning to say, <laughs> and I know what you're meaning to write. And so it's a blessing to, for him to, you know, ask me the other day if I can help him with a few more books and also with the uh, David Wilkerson Memorial Library. So that's, that's a real blessing. Amen? Amen? Father God, we thank you for your presence here with us, Lord. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for the constant flow of Jesus that is in Brooklyn Teen Challenge. We thank you for the constant flow of the voice of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for these men, these women of God. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, for the leadership. We thank you, Lord, for these brothers. We thank you for the newest one who just came in the program. We ask, God, that there would just be a flow of the voice of the Lord that we would have ears to hear, that we would realize it when God is speaking to us through one another. And I ask, Lord, you would take this sermon and turn it into a message from your heart to every heart here in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, I'm going to start again. Now the serpent was more cunning or clever than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Who is this cunning serpent? in the Garden of Eden, who could actually speak to Eve. Well, the scriptures are the best commentary on scripture. Amen? So Revelation 12, 7 says, War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. This talking serpent in Genesis 3 is Satan, the devil, the chief of the fallen angels who's been kicked out of heaven through rebellion, pride, and sin. He is the one who deceives the whole world. Now, one thing we have to admit, we got to give to Satan this. He is a master deceiver. He is a brilliant liar. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11:3, the serpent deceived Eve through his craftiness and First Timothy, he said, Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. 
And I want to take a close look at how exactly Satan deceived Eve because he's still using the same tricks today. Genesis 3, 1 again. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The first four words that came out of Satan's mouth was, Has God indeed said? And the law of first instance in the Bible Many times, if where something is mentioned first in Scripture, it's very significant. Has God indeed said? Look at some other versions of this same verse. King James, yea, hath God said? Amplified. Can it really be that God has said? New American Standard, indeed, has God said? The NIV, did God really say? Is it really true? Has God really done this to you guys? And Eve's like, really done what? Has God really given you a job in your favorite restaurant and then unjustly demand that you have to fast every time you work there? What kind of God would that be? That would be an unjust God. That would be a mean God. That would be a cruel God. That would be a demanding God. And he said to Eve, is it really true? Has he really done this to you, God? Done, done what? Has God unjustly put you two in a garden filled with fruit trees and then demand that you don't eat any of it? He said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle, the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Eve corrected the devil and said, no, God didn't say we couldn't eat of any of it. He just said we couldn't eat of one. But the slanderous poison against God's character that he expressed entered into her mind. And she received a picture of a God capable of demanding unjust things to his created beings. And then Eve was deceived into believing that God was withholding something that was actually good for her, the forbidden fruit. So it says in Genesis 3, 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her. And he, what? With her. She also gave to her husband with her. Adam. Why didn't you say anything? <laughs> you were right there. You let that talking serpent speak to your wife and lie to her and deceive her, and you just stood there and said nothing. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Next verse. <clears throat> and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, 
The serpent deceived me, and I ate. That's true. She was deceived. And you cannot wholeheartedly follow a God for long whom you don't trust. You cannot wholeheartedly follow a God that you believe that he is deliberately holding something back from you that is good. That goes, the lie that she believed goes against Psalm 8411. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Amen? Satan deceived Eve into believing that God did not have her best interests in mind. I've seen Satan deceive Teen Challenge students into believing the leadership does not have their best interests in mind. I know the leadership here very well, and no doubt they want the best for you. So don't let Satan tell you otherwise. Amen? But Satan's main target is to get us to distrust God. Paul's comments on this talking, lying serpent in the New American Standard Bible, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 11. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, by his craftiness, your minds. You see, he's still speaking into the thought life of people. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Look at the scope of Satan's deceptions. Revelation 12, 9 again, that great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. 1 John 5, 19, New Living Translation, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Satan has lied to the entire world. This talking serpent has lied to the world and has deceived the world and we have believed his slanderous lies about God and about God's character. And the way we view God affects our entire life. When I was a kid, the only time I remember my father hugging me and affirming me was if I would bring home a report card filled with A's. One time I made a D and I thought he was going to kill me. So I learned to value myself through my accomplishments. Now let's speed ahead many years. The first church I'm pastoring in the South Bronx, I'm pastoring, I'm doing my best, and I have a deep inner turmoil. And I keep pushing it down and pushing it down and ignoring it, a deep foreboding in my heart. Finally, I said, God, where is this coming from? So I took some time off to slow down, get in touch with my inner thought life. Why am I, what am I thinking deep down in my heart? 
And why am I thanking it? I'm thanking God. I made an A in evangelism this week. I made a B in Bible study, but I made a D in fasting. I'm sorry, God. I'll try harder next week. I had been saved over a decade. I'd been pastoring a church for years. Yet I felt like God was not pleased with me unless I made straight A's in my Christian walk. I thought, wait a minute. Am I relating to God as though he were like my earthly father? I also felt like if I messed up, God the Father was going to severely punish me. And looking back in my childhood, the 11th of 12 kids, we, I shared a room, amen? <laughs> I never had my own room. I shared a room with either two brothers or one brother. I always shared it with my brother James. He was 18 months older than me. Let me tell you about my brother James. My brother James was preparing me for ministry in New York City even before we knew the Lord. <laughs> My brother James started smoking cigarettes in second grade. My brother James started smoking pot in fourth grade. In sixth grade, he was into heavy drugs and into the occult and into all kinds of junk. And my dad would come home late Mom would tell him about James. I could hear the pounding of his feet coming down the hallway as dad starts yelling. He bursts open the bedroom door, turned on the overhead light, pulled out his belt, and tried to beat the rebellion out of my brother. And it terrified me. I'd say, no, Dad, I helped him too. He, my dad would push me away. No, Charles, it's James. He's always the one who's instigating the things. Do you know that years later, James, after James got saved, he acknowledged that one reason why he was so bad, he wanted to spend time with Dad, and punishment time was better than no time? Wow. <laughs> And then years later, here I am, a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. My dad died when I was 16. Here I am. I'm in my, my mid-20s. This is over a decade later. Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, oh, I adore you. God the Father, oop. Better watch out. Better walk straight. Or God the Father will severely punish me. And my breakthrough came when I finally heard God speak to my heart, Charles, I am not like your earthly father. I said, well, Father God, what are you like? I forgot that prayer. And uh, I soon felt to read through the Gospels of John and preach on the Gospels and all, all four Gospels. And as I saw Jesus again, you know, his patience, his compassion, his, his patience with his knuckleheaded disciples. And then I get to the end of John, John 14, 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? 
He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Wow. Jesus is just like the Father, and the Father is just like Jesus. And we all have been lied to about God the Father because we all have had imperfect representations of the Father in our lives in the forms of our earthly fathers. Some of our fathers were good, but imperfect. Some of our fathers were horrible. Some of our fathers were absent. When my wife and I got married, she said, honey, she said, I just got to tell you, every once in a while, I go through hard situations, and I just feel like there is no God. I said, well, tell me about your relationship with your dad. He deserted the home when I was two years old. And I, and I, I have seen in my own life and the lives of people that um, sometimes Satan has lied to us and has projected into our minds a picture of Father God that simply is not true. But the good news is this. We have been told the 100% truth about God the Father in the words and actions and person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to heaven. Well, that's how we read it. That's not what he said. No one, it's true, no one goes to heaven except through Jesus. Amen? But what Jesus is saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. I have studied that verse for like two years now. It's a lot deeper than what I first realized. Jesus is saying, I am the way to the Father. I reveal the truth about the Father. And I will cause you to be able to personally know the Father, which is eternal life. So from, uh, from New York City to Edie Farm, I took, uh, what road did I take? What's that Interstate 80, 84? From Port Jervis <coughs> to going towards New York City. Um, what's the road from Port Jervis to Edie Farm? Let me do it that way. Edie Farm Road? <laughs> All right, we'll go with Edie Farm Road, okay? 
If your van breaks down on 206, that's it? All right, let's go to Edie Farm Road. If your van breaks down on Edie Farm Road, <coughs> it's on the way to the destination, but it hasn't arrived because it broke down on the way. Yes, Jesus is the way, but the Father is the destination. And he said, I don't have this verse, but he said to those Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they said, we're Abraham's servants, and we've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Jesus said, he who commits sin is the servant of sin, and a servant does not stay in the family forever, but a son remains in the family forever. If therefore the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, they were Abraham's descendants, but so was Hagar and Ishmael. And if you have a nanny and she does a bad job, guess what? You kick her out of the family and you get a better nanny. And Jesus is saying, you continue in my word, I'll set you free by giving you the realization you're no longer just a slave or a servant. You are a son. You're a son now. You're in the family. Jesus is the way and the Father is the destination. We have a compassionate heavenly Father who deeply loves us and wants us all to have a deep relationship with him. Jesus did not come from heaven just to die for us. He came to also reveal to us what God the Father is like. I'm being attacked by a bug. <laughs> what was that? Probably just a little moth. Okay. <laughs> Hey, maybe that was like the most important thing I had to say tonight, and the devil's trying to. <laughs> no, I don't see the devil behind everything, but sometimes. Well, here, here's the precious jewel that God put in my heart about 10 years ago, and I've been turning it and putting it up into the light and saying, wow, that's absolutely incredible. And here's. Here's the truth. Here's the truth that I mind from the Gospel of John. Jesus did not just come from heaven to die for us, and he did not come just to reveal to us what God the Father is like. Jesus has come to give to you his greatest possession. It's not his spirit. It's not his blood. It's not his life. It's not even his words. His greatest possession is his relationship with the Father. And he gives it to us. As the Father loves me, he loves you now. The glory I have with the Father, I give to you. 
What was the glory he had with the Father? The glory of the only Son. I went home with Tommy in the fourth grade after school. He had a huge backyard with a swing set and slides and toys. And Tommy and I played for like an hour. Finally, I said, Tommy. Yes, Charles. Tommy, where is everybody? <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, where are your brothers and sisters? You know, I grew up 11th or 12. Whatever family you're in, you think that's normal, right? Where is everybody? He said, Charles, it's just me. I'm the only son. And I was like, wow. Can you imagine having the full, undiluted attention and love of your parents? <laughs> That's the glory of an only son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The son so loves the world, he gives to us the glory of an only son. It's not true that God has no favorites. That's all he has. Favorites. You're his favorite. 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 Jesus is determined to share the greatest possession he has. His relationship, his standing with God the Father. What the Father said at Jesus' baptism, he speaks over you and I. Jesus was baptized, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. That voice from heaven is stronger than the voice of the serpent. That's the voice of the Father. That's, that's the voice of your Father. That's the voice of your Father in heaven. That's, that's like, my goodness, that's the most important thing. I, I told the school of ministry students, you know, this is the most important thing. The most important thing for ministry life. Before Jesus preached, before he healed anybody, before he did anything, he went down to the Jordan River and was water baptized. And when he came up, the heavens opened in the audible voice of God the Father. You're my son. You're my son. In you I am well pleased. He goes into the wilderness and Satan comes. If you are the son of God. Attacking the very thing. Sorry, I didn't have that one. <laughs> Attacking his identity as the son. You, my dear brother, my dear sister, you are the son, the daughter of God. And Jesus said in John 17, Father, I pray that they realize you love them as much as you love me. I could not say that unless I read it in the Bible in red letters. The Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. 
Matter of fact, in Christ, you're in the bosom of the Father. You're in the embrace of the Father. Whether you know it or not, whether you accept it or not, I am telling you, mark my words. When you get to heaven and God the Father comes, come here, boy. Come here, my boy. Come here, son. Let me hug you. Who's that man? Oh, that's God the Father. <laughs> oh, Father. <laughs> he will hug you, and he will embrace you, and you will say, Father, how I wish I knew this love on earth. And he will probably reply, didn't you read the Gospel of John? Because the Gospel of John teaches us, you know, let, let's do identity upgrade. Remember uh, years ago they say, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Anybody remember that? <laughs> blessed and highly favored. I, I got just sick of hearing it because people were like just saying it without even thinking about it. <laughs> I'm blessed and highly favored. Blessed and highly favored. Blessed and <laughs> Come on, let's upgrade that. That's Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, we're blessed and highly favored. Gospel of John. We are in the embrace of God the Father. That's where we are in Christ. And that is a precious jewel that I keep looking at, and it keeps changing me for the good. Amen? I want to be secure that when the serpent comes along and lies to me, I say, no, no, no. I'm not going to believe your slanders about the character of my heavenly father. He's a good, good father. Amen? Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I know, Lord God, as sometimes when I share about my past and my situations with my earthly father, it can, it can bring up wounds, it can bring up pain, it can bring up things of the past. But Lord, when you allow things to come up, it's your guarantee that you're going to heal it. When you put your finger on something, Father God, it's for the purpose of healing. It's not for the purpose of banishment. It's not for the purpose of putting us down. It's for the purpose of healing us. And Father God, I pray for a spirit of revelation, God, that we would realize that Jesus has come to reveal the Father and to bring us to the Father and to bring us into the embrace of Father God. Father God, there are many of us in here, Lord, that, that were not embraced the way we should have been when we were younger. But God, you are a perfect Father. And you can make up for all the inadequacies we've ever experienced. And you can make up for all the trauma and all the junk and all the things we've gone through because you are absolutely perfect. You are exactly like Jesus because Jesus is exactly like you. So I pray, Father God, I pray you would open up the heavens over our hearts and we would hear your voice. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. In you, I am well pleased. You are my delight. I love you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've drawn you to myself with cords of kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.